for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, earlier this year, hospitals in Georgia put elective surgeries on pause as they prepared for a surge in COVID-19 patients. That left many patients awaiting those procedures feeling stuck. I was very concerned that how long was I going to have to wait? And if I waited too long, was I going to miss my window of opportunity to get it while it was still in a very early state? Barbara Russell is one such patient. Her surgery was meant to hold off cervical cancer. Her story, up next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Do you remember early March? It seems so long ago now. Well, back then, as hospitals began to see more and more COVID-19 patients, many decided to put a pause on elective surgeries. And that left some patients in a bit of a bind. On Barbara Russell's calendar for late March, a surgery her doctors said could help keep her from getting cervical cancer. She joins me now to talk about getting that surgery delayed and how things have played out since then. Barbara, thanks for talking with me. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, what you like to do. I'm just trying to establish you know, who you are for people listening to this. I am 63. I was widowed about 15 years ago, and I have uh, six years ago met a wonderful man, and uh, we're both retired, and we do volunteer music. I play the flute, and Dave plays guitar. We go to various uh, nursing homes, hospitals, health centers, uh, cancer center, and our main focus is on hospice. We play for hospice patients and families. Folk music, Beatles, movie and musical themes very soothing and relaxing. It's really geared towards people that are going through some health issues and stressy times. My understanding is that you've not been able to get into hospitals to, to do this kind of music uh, during this pandemic. So, so how, how have y'all handled that? That is correct. They've not allowing volunteers uh, or non-essential people to come into those places. So uh, we were missing some of our um, other hospice volunteers and some of our co-workers at the various places. So we started doing some video music uh, recordings at home, and uh, I just put them on Facebook just so those folks could see it, the, uh, the hospice people. And it turns out a lot of other people are starting to kind of tune in and just finding it's a distraction and it's, it's soothing. So 
that's kind of it's good for us too because it gives us a reason to get up and and to do something productive each day. You mentioned that you are doing this this music for maybe people who are going through health issues. That's something that you are, are dealing with now as well. So maybe just kind of explain to me if you could what you have been been dealing with for the last few years. Last uh, probably ten years, I've been dealing with um, abnormal pap tests that uh, just continue to progress, and it's gotten to the point now that. Uh, the various easy procedures that I've had have not been able to stop this progression. And so it was advised that, that I get a hysterectomy because it, the concern is that it will be turning into a cervical cancer. May or may not, but it, the, every likelihood is showing that it's heading that direction. So they said a hysterectomy, and especially with my age, do it now rather than wait until I get older. So uh, we did have that surgery scheduled for March and uh because of everything going on with the with the virus, the pandemic, that it ha- it was uh, canceled. How did you feel after having battled this kind of health issue for ten years? You said to finally get something like this on on the calendar that that you hoped might be able to address it. Uh, it was a relief to know that I was going to be proactive and doing something about it rather than waiting till it became a you know more of a severe situation. And the surgery was not something I was looking forward to, but I was prepared in my mind that, you know, it was, it was a good step that I was taking. So it was something that, you know, I was didn't want to do, but I was feeling positive about doing it. Tell me the story, if you could, of how you got wind of this being canceled. Were you worried about that happening in the first place? I mean, uh, by the time we got to March, kind of everyone knew that that coronavirus was potentially an issue. So so how did that happen? Yeah, I had mixed feelings. The surgery was scheduled for March 24th. And the beginning of March, when things started becoming very real, so I had mixed feelings. Did I want to go into the hospital and possibly get exposed? At that point, you know, we didn't really know what was happening, but I just knew that it was going to be very confusing. So I was apprehensive about going in the hospital and being exposed or uh, equipment or supplies not being what it needed to be. Um, but then I was also scared about it getting canceled. So when I got the call a week before the surgery that they were going to have to postpone it, I was relieved. But then I was also concerned, how long is it going to be? And am I, you know, do I have the time to hold out that long without, you know, things getting worse? So it was mixed feelings again. This is something that you've been dealing with for 10 years, and maybe there's this solution that's then taken away from you. That that, that seems like that would be hard to deal with. It was disturbing because I felt like the surgery was going to be, I don't want to say simple, but it would it wouldn't have been the complications of actually dealing with a cancer. So the fact that it was going to be postponed, I was concerned because my doctor had told me that, you know, it really needed to be addressed within the year because of the concern that it would develop into real cervical cancer and so I was very concerned that how long was I going to have to wait and if I waited too long was I going to miss like my window of opportunity? to get it while it was still in a very early state. Because at that point, they didn't know. And I did ask my doctor, did, you know, what did she think? And she said, well, she said, you know, we're hoping that things will be cleared up enough that we can reschedule, you know, in a couple of months. And I said, how long do you think I need to go before things get where she said a couple of months? So that's kind of, that was hanging over my head. 
What were those next few weeks like for you? I mean, were you were you checking in with your doctor? Were, were you having conversations with them about when you might be able to get back on the schedule? No, I did not hear from them, and I did not call them. I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, because I had been following the news here local, I actually kept a little spreadsheet and was tracking the number of cases and hospitalizations and what have you, and I just saw that things were, in April, not improving. So I really wasn't expecting any change at all for that, you know, for the rescheduled hospital surgery. But probably, oh, I'm not sure, maybe mid-April or so, uh, when the governor started talking about opening things up again, that's when I thought, okay, maybe we'll be hearing something from the hospital. So I had kind of in my mind said, all right, if I haven't heard anything by whatever date it was, sometime in April, I will call. And that very morning they called and uh said, you know, we, we could start rescheduling surgeries and what dates, here are the dates, when would you like to go? You, you hear back from the hospital. Talk to me about how that went. I mean, um, what it felt like, what that call was like from them. It was not the doctor. It was her scheduling assistant. And uh, she was sounded extremely happy to be able to offer me some actual dates and times where I didn't, you know, wasn't forcing me out. And, and the first one was actually for May 19th. And I was a little hesitant to take the first one. I thought, you know, they might not have their act together yet at the hospital. So I opted to go for the following week, the 26th. And then I got a call a little time after that that they had an opening on the 22nd. So I did. I took the 22nd. How did it feel to kind of get this back on the schedule? I, I did you have any hesitation about entering a healthcare setting? I mean, this pandemic isn't over. I know there was slight concern about going to the hospital, but I have had heard some reassuring things that the surgical area and the recovery area are totally separate from where they are keeping COVID patients. So. Uh, and, and the same with the staff. The staff that treats COVID patients are not intermingled with the staff anywhere else. So I feel pretty good about that. They had me test for COVID before they would let me go for surgery on Friday. And there's some, you know, safeguards that they're taking that I, I feel pretty good about all of that. The other thing, though, is I just keep thinking, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I get a phone call saying, you know, we've had to cancel. But I think the hospital's they're handling the cases that are in there. So I think I think they're ready to have some regular patients in. You mentioned you got a COVID test earlier this week. Walk me through some of the other precautions they're having you take, because there's been a lot of talk about what a new normal looks like when the coronavirus is in our lives. And I think that you're, you're, you're potentially one of the first people really getting back in there and experiencing this firsthand. So what specifically are they having you do to kind of prepare? Okay, for the for the COVID test, it was it, it just kind of felt clandestine. I they you know I had to go come kind of like to a secret entrance to the hospital and drive through and and they they did the test and then they put a wristband on me with big orange stickers, uh, you know that the date and the time and everything that I had a test and and I've been quarantined now. Uh, I can't go anywhere uh, between the test yesterday and the surgery on Friday. When we come in, we kind of have to go into a I don't want to say secret, but it's definitely not a main entrance. And my husband will be going with He'll be allowed to go in with me, but he'll be screened, temperature and, and uh, screening tests and everything, and allowed to wait in the waiting room with me till they call me back for the surgery. And then I won't see him until I get discharged. So that's that's a kind of a upsetting part of it. I mean, it's 
when I come out of recovery, he, he won't be there. When I get to the room, he won't be there. So that's the part that I know so many patients, COVID patients and just regular patients are allowed to have visitors. And that's, that's rough on your emotions and just the usefulness of having a visitor there with you. You know, the visitor can get you a tissue or a drink or whatever. So, it, you know, that's kind of a, negative for me is not being able to have him there for me when I when I get to the room hopefully just overnight uh so if I have it Friday morning I should be able to go home by Saturday afternoon so it's it's really not that big a deal but for me I mean I'm a baby it's it's you know a big enough deal and for him too I mean I know he's going to be concerned and want to be there with me for when I wake up and you know just moral support and in company and everything so it's in Things is minor, but it's still scary. We maybe think of an elective surgery as a knee replacement or someone needs to get their golf swing fixed so they get their rotator cuff repaired or, or, or something like that, that that maybe is not seen as, as essential. And so I'm wondering if, if you have thought about that just for yourself. I mean, I for me talking to you, this this seems like something that, yes, you might have had some choice, but this wasn't purely an elective surgery. I was not educated on what elective surgery meant. I thought it was something that, you know, like plastic surgery even, you know, that uh, was a frivolous kind of a, a surgery. But from what I understand, elective surgery is just something that, that can be scheduled that doesn't have to be done an emergency right on the spot. I, I did not feel that it was, I was dealt an unfair hand whatsoever. And, and I was really hopeful that if there were others that we're in more dire situation that, you know, that they got bumped. Maybe they got my place or something. How are you feeling right now? I mean, I, I, I can imagine this is something that you've been, I, I don't know if looking forward to is the right way to say it. Um, but I guess, yeah, just how are you? Well, it's it's anticipation for sure. I had kind of gotten through the uh, anxiety the last time back in March, you know, a week away. And I was, I had prepared, I had, you know, all the clothes and the food and the you know, the little gizmos to help recovery and everything. So I was all ready with that. And that's a good thing to have to stay busy, you know, to, get, to getting prepared. And, and this time I'm, I was prepared two months ago, so I really don't have that. I'm a little nervous from just anticipating the, you know, the pain and the discomfort and all of that. And it would be nice to have something really good to look forward to, um, you know, a nice trip or, or, you know, something like that, but there's, that's not in the picture either. But, you know, I've got good support at home and, and, you know, loving family and friends. So I'm, you know, I'm okay with it. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be fine. Barbara Russell lives in Marietta, Georgia. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you 
donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.